Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What up, CPAC? It's your boy, Dr. Zubin Demanya, a.k.a. ZDogMD. And I'm here with a very special guest today. We're talking about allergies and allergy myths with Dr. Dave Stukas. Rhymes with mucus. That's how he told me to pronounce it. It's true. Dave Stukas, who is an allergy... We got sound? We got sound. We got sound. All right, because we're using a funky mic. Dave Stukas is an allergist and an immunologist in practice in Columbus, Ohio at Nationwide Children's Hospital. He is an academic. He is also a Twitter-demic. So he has an account on Twitter, at AllergyKidsDoc, where he busts myths in the allergy space, encourages science-based practice, and points to credible sources of information for both providers and patients. Dave Stukas, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm Thanks so glad you. You're in Vegas for a conference, yeah? Yeah, yeah. There's a, a board review course for pediatricians uh, that I teach at. Yeah. No, God. I keep it lively. It's so boring. Trust me. They sit there for eight hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> and then I come, I walk in. And you come in? Yeah. Do you juggle? Is there like a whole routine? No, no. It's, it's more boredom. Yeah. Oh, I feel yeah. you. But I, I throw some basic immunology at them. So really oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Well, you know, as an allergist in the pediatric space, but also more broadly applicable to adults, there's so much drama. <sighs> In the world. Oh my God. I have a case of the glutens. And anytime I look at gluten, I am unable to do work. Uh, so everything from that to my child has a life-threatening peanut allergy and could die if you look at a peanut wrong. Mm-hmm. To what's going on with vaccinations. What's it, there's so much you could talk about and do talk about. What is your – and we're going to take comments from you guys. So ZPAC – Write in your comments. Tom and Logan are screening them, and they're probably only going to read the most uh, developmentally delayed ones. So make them as developmentally delayed as possible, and you'll get them read, and your allergy myths will be busted live by Dr. Dave Stugas. What is the biggest issue in allergy today that you think is affecting the public in terms of misperceptions? A basic misunderstanding of what an allergy actually is. Wait, what? Yeah, I know, right? So uh, I get very specific when I use the terms because it has – Significant ramifications. Mm. If you have an allergy to something, your body will form an immune response and an allergy antibody. Therefore, every time you're exposed to it, you should have pretty immediate onset symptoms mm. that are reproducible with every exposure. Yeah. It doesn't come and go over time, and it's very different than intolerances or sensitivities. So just explain that to me. Intolerances. So so many people are like, when you look at their medication allergy lists, mm-hmm. they're like, I'm allergic to oxygen and steroids and water. Yeah, so that's a big deal, and it, it's natural for people to make a connection. We all do it. We say, oh, I feel this way. What happened to me that made me feel that way? And if you're eating things on a regular basis, you may tie them back and say, oh, well, I'm eating gluten on a regular basis. Maybe that's why I have brain fog or I'm not sleeping well at night. And it's just a natural connection. But it's really important to make that distinction because if you're truly allergic, mm. you need to avoid it because right. each exposure could cause a more severe reaction or anaphylaxis, which can be life-threatening or cause death. Right, so further priming, more immune response, and disaster. Mm-hmm. As opposed to intolerance, which is you don't like it, it doesn't really do great things for you. How yeah. do you define that? Intolerance, um, for the most part, when it comes to something like a food, it's mm. difficulty with digestion. 
So for example, lactose intolerance would be a common one. Every time you eat something with lactose in it, you can't digest it. It goes through the gut undigested. It sucks water into the bowel. You get crampy, you get bloaty, you get diarrhea, sometimes constipation. <laughs> you don't feel good. I call it Wednesday around these parts, but you know, <laughs> you call it what you will. Um, but you can still eat it and it won't kill you. Yeah. Um, and then oftentimes that may actually come and go over time depending upon what you're intolerant to. And then when it comes to medication, that's a whole other ballgame because a lot of people will misattribute physicians as well, especially physicians will say, oh, you had hives. Yeah. Four or five days after starting amoxicillin, therefore you must be allergic. Well, lo and behold, you're probably not, and you can receive it again. But if you avoid it unnecessarily, increased cost, unnecessary side effects. So let, let me let me ask you, uh, by the way, can you guys hear Dave okay? Because he's very soft-spoken, and I'm loud and obnoxious. If you can't hear, let us know. Uh, Tom Heineber says, I'm allergic to business casual. <laughs> Tom Heineber. <laughs> Jersey slacks make me uh, <laughs> go into this whole thing, and uh, it's no good. So you have slack of My body puts antibodies or does whatever. You know, Dave was saying. I can uh, get you some Dockers and desensitize you to that. You're gonna desensitize them using yeah. Dockers. I love it. Just start slow and then work them up to Italian brands. Oh, yeah. I got a comment from Abby. She wants to know the difference between mast cell versus allergies. A lot of people. Ah, uh, yeah, really. All right, so. Mast cells are some of the cells that are involved in an allergic reaction. Mast cells live in all of our tissues, everywhere throughout the body. And if you have an allergy to something, you form an IgE antibody. Looks just like that. That's attached to the mast cells. When you are exposed to the allergen, you cross-link the IgE, open up the mast cells, spilling the contents. Histamine is a big one, causes itching, can cause swelling, difficulty breathing, vomiting, nausea, things like that. Um, so mast cells are part of the allergic cascade, whereas basophils are more in the bloodstream. They're also involved as well. But what I think people are probably going to be getting at are something called mast cell disorders. Yes. Our mast cell activation syndrome, which are actually quite rare, uh, especially compared to a lot of the other things we're talking about. And that's where people just have really twitchy mast cells, where they may um, cause their mast cells pro to pro proliferate um, and have more symptoms on a regular basis, which may look like an allergy, but it's not technically due to anything they're allergic to. So there's a lot of confusion in that realm. Hmm. Here's a question I wanted to follow up on the amoxicillin comment that you made. So my daughter got amoxicillin for an ear infection when she was four or five. A couple weeks later, broke out in – during the course, later, broke out into hives. Um, they were more like – they were hives. They mm -hmm. actually were hives and they lasted quite a while. Now, we assumed that maybe there's an amoxicillin allergy. We weren't sure. We asked the pediatrician. She said, it sounds like it's amoxicillin allergy. And we said, well, we're not sure. The next time she got a viral illness – couple days into it, she broke out in hives. Mm. Every spring, she breaks out in hives. So the question is, what would you advise somebody like that who now, you don't want to exclude this class of antibiotics that can potentially be life-saving mm -hmm. and the cost and everything you talked about. How, how would you approach that as an allergist? Yeah, so I think it's really important for anybody who has a suspected antibiotic allergy to meet with a board-certified allergist to clarify that. This guy, keeping himself in business. Yeah, there you God. go. No, so there's a few ways to tease it out, and our understanding of this has really grown rapidly over the last couple of years. So let's take your daughter, for example. Yeah. There were two big studies recently, took over a thousand children with that exact same story. Without any prior testing, they gave all of those children amoxicillin again. Yeah. Guess what happened? I don't know. 95% of them did fine. So just statistically, it's unlikely it was amoxicillin. Yes. And they did it in obviously controlled circumstances and all. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Actually, speaking of that, so. A lot of moms out there are like, you're not giving my child amoxicillin or peanuts. And you had a great example in one of the talks you gave. How do you as an allergist handle those oral challenges? Yeah, so I'm a skeptic by nature, which is, I think, suited me pretty well as an allergist. So you mm. need to come to me with a pretty exact story. And you need to say, hey, Dave, guess what? Every time I'm exposed to this, so you yeah. need to have an idea of what it is. I have these symptoms. Are those symptoms consistent with an allergy or not? What's the timing of onset? Should be within minutes or a few hours, not a day later or two days later. Mm. 
what treatment was necessary to make it go away, uh, and what are you concerned about? So if you come in and say, you know what, Dave, uh, every time I eat lemons, my left toe gets itchy, I believe you, I hear you, but lemons are a pretty unusual cause of allergy, and that symptoms don't really concern me, so I'm, I'm skeptical. Right. But when we piece the history together, we have three ways of testing. We have a skin prick test where we take a drop of allergen, we apply it to the skin on the back of the forearm, scratch the top layer, expose it to those mast cells we were just talking about. Within 15 minutes, if you get a big hive that says, oh, you're sensitized, maybe allergic, still not diagnostic, it's not like a pregnancy uh-huh. test. Got it. You can measure levels of IgE in the bloodstream, and that can give you an, indic- an indication of allergy may be present as well based upon the history. And then lastly, whenever the history is indeterminate or a testing doesn't really tell us for sure, that's when an oral challenge comes into play. Mm. So this is the, the best thing that I do as an allergist, and this is something that I can actually um, remove an allergy from somebody's list and, and put it back in their, in their diet if they tolerate that. again. If you're allergic, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. If you're allergic, you'll have symptoms every time you're exposed to it. And then so if we give it to you in a controlled setting under my supervision and you tolerate it, you're not allergic. So are you, are you frustrated by the number of perceived allergies in the world as opposed to what actually pans out to be true allergies? Or do you see it as an opportunity to actually help people sort that out? Yeah, it's, it's the sole reason that I'm here. Uh, that's the reason that I joined social media in the first place. Mm. Um, there's been earlier studies that showed one in three people will report having a food allergy, but when you actually do the testing and you take their history and do a challenge, only mm. about 5 to 8% of them actually do. Got it. So it really is much less than what we think. Absolutely. So Tom, by the way, people are commenting on this little guy. Ah. Um, <clears throat> he specialed me. Um, he's Dr. Pumoji, Dr. Krapindra Pumoji. He is, like my father and like my mother, a international medical graduate um, somewhere in Mumbai. And he is the bomb, uh, the shiznit, if you will. So now that that's out of the way, uh, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be right back in 15 seconds. Come back with your questions. We're going to screen through a few, and we'll be right back. This guy right here, people, okay? He just got paid. Anyway, so Dave... Uh, let's take some comments and then we'll get mm, into the meat please. of this because it's really amazing to have an allergist. Again, we're with Dr. Dave Stukas, uh, pediatric allergist and incredible resource. He's on Twitter as at allergykidsdoc. Perfect. And he is debunking myths and spreading the love. My favorite thing is I saw you did a talk where you were talking about social media and things like that. Uh, Discovery X talk, it's on YouTube if you search Dave Stukas. And um, you talked about Dr. Oz. You mm. gave examples of how celebrities are misdefining and abusing the platform to spread misinformation. And you actually said Dr. Oz is using his powers and platform for evil. And the audience was kind of like, <gasps> and I was kind of like, yes, that's what we've been saying. <laughs> Dave Stukas, come on our show. Um, comments, you guys? There's a, there's a lot of people saying they're allergic to other people's bullish. Yeah, a lot of people allergic to bullish. What do you think about that? Is that just an intolerance or an allergy? Oh boy, it's, it's tough to say. I think you'd probably have to do some pretty rigorous testing to figure that out. What do you? Th- oh, what do you got there? Hi, I got a comment. Uh, Joy wants to know: Can allergies to a certain thing progress over time? Meaning, can it go from hives to anaphylaxis with continued exposure over time? Great question. Yeah, that is a great question. So yes, they can. Um, that's why it's really important to tease out who actually does and does not have a true allergy. Because if you're allergic to a food then you really need to strictly avoid that food in all forms because reactions can progress over time. Mm. Uh, Ooh, great one from Ann. Hmm. How do you, Dr. Dave, respond to 
but my kid is allergic to vaccines. Bring the vaccine thunder, Dr. Dave. Yeah. He's like, they cause autism. I'm like, what? Mind blown, really? (laughs) Uh, Let's just say true allergic reactions to vaccines are exceptionally rare. Um, The most most common example people uh, comes to mind would be egg allergy and the influenza vaccine. For years, we used to say avoid the influenza vaccine if you have egg allergy because it's grown using chicks' um, embryos. Well, lo and behold, in and aborted fetal tissue, yes, and mercury, <coughs> okay, and dung kidneys, and dung, yep, yeah. and formaldehyde. Yes. Anyway, so they now you say how is it? Yeah, so 2009, H1N1 flu pandemic hit, and we said, oh my gosh, how are we going to actually vaccinate all these kids? Mm. Since then, there's been over 45 published clinical trials, so evidence matters mm. that have all shown the same thing. If you take the flu vaccine and administer it to somebody who has egg allergy, regardless of how severe it was, they're fine. So it turns out there's probably not much egg protein in the vaccine in the first place or not enough to cause any problems when you inject it in the body. Get your vax on, people. Oh, my God. I'm allergic to needles. So I can't. I I um, skankaphylax and I get this skanky bruise. And, um, Gross. Um, <laughs> Jeremy wants to know uh, thoughts on introducing allergens in small amounts to overcome them. Ah, Desensitization. Right. So if you're truly allergic, please do not do this at home. Do not do this without medical supervision. Listen carefully. Uh, there are a lot of research trials going on right now looking at oral immunotherapy for people with food allergies. There are some private allergists that are actually offering this in their practice. Uh, we're going to have a product coming in the next year or so, both desensitized by mouth and also a patch you can put on the skin. Um, but this absolutely has to be done under medical supervision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do, because since uh, poo transplants are a thing now, mm-hmm. I thought, why can't you do them transdermal and get a poo patch and just put it on? Yeah, well, it's it's more than just a patch. It's kind of like the head-to-toe thing. Oh, so full-body stool. Like, it's like treating scabies. That's gross. Uh, Got a question from Michelle. Really more of an observation. Uh, every time I get a child with a rash, most of them with a fever, I say it's viral but parents want an answer. Most of them are viral symptoms, but the parents get frustrated. Do you, do you see a lot of this? Like they, they want to connect it to an allergy so that they can have some power in removing it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that, you know, that's part of my role as a specialist is I can take a detailed history and perform testing when it's indicated and really provide that, that answer that a lot of families need. But I would say to anybody who cares you know, on the front line, especially our primary care colleagues, is have a good understanding of what this stuff actually means, um, have, be confident in, in making your diagnosis, and kind of have your spiels ready to go. Yeah, um, and and discuss that with confidence. Do you do you ever help uh, sort of primary docs uh, understand? You're doing a talk right now at the Peds thing. Yeah, yeah. Just how do you talk about allergies with their patients? That's a large a large part of what I do is mm-hmm. I try to take clinical guidelines and translate them down in a way that you know it's manageable for primary care providers to do right front lines because they're busy. They're seeing forty patients a day. Plus they're responsible for treating two thousand different disorders. I treat Respect. like eleven. Respect. Um, so that's my job. Let me ask you. So Matt Furtado was asking about cats and pets. Can Don't you- do it, Matt. Don't do it. Cats are lame, dude. He wants to know if he can get over his exposure to cats by being exposed to cats. No. Tell him, Z. I have a cat. Mm-hmm. And that cat is beautiful. Lame. And makes me itch. <laughs> lame. And I have a little bit of a mild allergy to cats. But yet, because I'm a dog, I try to broaden my sort of thing. What's the deal with pet allergies? Yeah, well, your cat dander's all over me now, so thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. What um, can I say, Dave Stukas? <laughs> You're welcome for the itching and hives that you show. Uh, let me say this very clearly. There is no such thing as a hypoallergenic cat or dog. What? Thank you. Wait. Well, 
So my little Pomeranian is my emotional support animal and comes with me to all the meetings. Is makes people itch. Yeah, so the dander that causes allergy comes from saliva, sweat glands, and urine. Uh, and dander gets uh, released into the air from all cats and dogs. Now, some may be more allergenic compared to others. And there's a lot of people with dog allergy, especially, that can be around certain breeds but not others. But we can't test for that. Right. The only way to tell is you know, burying your face in it and seeing what happens. Mm. So can you desensitize to pet allergies, or is that not possible? Oh, absolutely. You um, can. There's a couple different ways. So one is through immunotherapy, which has been around for 100 years. Mm. We basically take what you're allergic to, we dilute it down, we inject it back into the body these are allergy shots wait a minute vaccine i smell homeopathy here you're diluting stuff to make it stronger um it just proves that we're right and you're wrong science we dilute it so we don't kill them with the injections why you have to go there (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so you do you dilute it and you inject it yep and we build it up and Mm -hmm. then we reach a a evidence-based standardized dose got it that they achieve their maintenance phase and then they receive their shots for three to five years sometimes longer Mm. and that can desensitize and improve their symptoms got it uh there's a really cool phenomenon called the thanksgiving effect so for people with cat or dog allergy they grow up in a house with these pets and they're fine yeah they go off to college they come back over thanksgiving and they're miserable yeah so they're they're naturally sort of desensitizing themselves by living around these animals all the time interesting that's the thanksgiving effect i hadn't heard that now so these allergy shots over years it isn't some scam by the allergy industrial complex to make money because you guys have to keep coming having them come back kind of like chiropractors for chronic pain yeah so um there are people who will take advantage and mm. they will recommend lifelong therapy mm. uh, but i will say that that's rarely if ever necessary good to know yeah good to know so you're good you're you know got this thing called integrity yeah is that what it is well what's the pronunciation on that integrity you I- shut up tom heinover the only thing i'm allergic to racism anyway <laughs> <laughs> leah brown wants to know she says my daughter's younger and her lips swell and she gets a fuzzy feeling with most fruits and vegetables she takes a Benadryl every time she wants to eat avocados, but should she just avoid them? Listen, she can't avoid them. I'm a doctor, and you can't live a life without guacamole. People, no, I'm gonna let Doctor Dave. By the way, I take Benadryl whenever I'm exposed to David Avocado Wolf, yeah. so it's the same thing. Yeah, uh, oral allergy syndrome, also known as pollen fruit syndrome. It's a um, thing. Absolutely. Okay. Now uh, this exists when people have uh, allergies to outdoor seasonal pollens. So you're allergic to things, you know, that trees release into the air. And then if you eat fresh fruits or vegetables that look like that, so things that grow on trees, in the fresh form, they can cause um, almost always isolated itching and and tingling inside the mouth and throat. Oh, interesting. It rarely will progress to anaphylaxis. The Mm. cool thing about oral allergy syndrome is the proteins that cause these symptoms are pretty labile, so they can be destroyed very easily. You can microwave it. Mm. You can peel it. You can cook it. You can can it. So the perfect example is people with birch tree pollen allergy. If they eat a fresh apple, their mouths drive them crazy, but they can eat apple pie just fine. I got it. So basically the answer is cook bacon all over your fruit and stop being um, a vegan wuss. Sure. Don't do that. We love our (laughs) vegan colleagues. I just like to talk smack. Um, Related to that, what was I? I was going to ask something about that, Dr. Dave. You know what? Let's go to a let's go to a quick break, and we'll be back in a second with more, Dr. Dave. Bring your crazy allergy questions Mm -hmm. and your gluten's, and we'll be back. Don't be talking about nonsense, allergies, and poopy bottoms, and pollen heads, and desensitizations because the gluten's. We're back, Dr. Dave Stukas, allergist. My dad is allergic to my cat only when he pets her and eats turkey in the same day, or so he says. Not sure if that's a thing. That's a true Thanksgiving effect. Yeah, yeah. This is a a perfect example of what uh, we deal with all the time would be uh, biases. 
Oh. Confirmational bias. Confirmational bias. Yeah. So you hate the animal and you hate turkey and you... I mean, what's the confirmation bias here? I'm not... Does, uh-huh. does it matter? <laughs> does it matter, Mr. Puj? Krapinder Pumoji? Um, I'm allergic to vegans, says Elizabeth Crutchley. Yeah. How do you know someone's vegan? They tell you. Ooh. Repeatedly. Yes. What, what about the Asian glow? Is that an allergy? I think you're talking... So, I can tell you this, being married to an Asian, it is a, a, a lack of alcohol dehydrogenase. Mm. So, you develop this flushing on the skin with alcohol, and it is not an allergy. It is a metabolic deficiency that leads mm-hmm. to a byproduct that then causes the, the thingamajigger. Am I wrong? No. I made it up. It feels right, though. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, oh, well, everybody wants to know mm. the deals with the drug seekers. Can you be allergic to Benadryl? <laughs> not if it's pushed with Dilaudid rapidly, then I'm not allergic to it. <laughs> so, yes. if you look through the published literature mm. in regards to Benadryl allergy, red dye allergy, things along those lines, artificial dye allergy, I should say. Right, right. Because you can't be allergic to natural dyes. Right. Um, there's not much there, if anything. Perform the same search on Google, guess what? Millions of hits. So it would be extremely unlikely for anybody to have a true allergy to the, the chemicals inside Benadryl or diphenhydramine. And the same thing with artificial dyes and things along those lines. And actually, to follow up on that, you have two worlds that you can search in. Mm-hmm. You can search in the medical science world in PubMed and doing actual you know, Medline, true, I just dated myself with Medline, <laughs> true literature searches. Or you can go Dr. Google, and depending on your search history, go down a Google hole that will confirm any biases you already have. This is the role of, I think, social media and doctors. We need to embrace social media so we can guide that other Google hole back into reality. Because we actually do go into the science world, and we see, and there's anecdote is one thing, it can lead to science, but most often it doesn't. Most often it leads to insanity. And so curating all that has been part of what you've been trying to do on Twitter. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I spend a lot of time uh, going into the nether regions uh, to see what the internet says about things that I deal with. Dear it's, Lord. It's a scary place. It's dark. I mean, there have been times when I've read things saying, huh, I wonder if that's actually true. I've done the same thing. Like, yeah. I'm, wait, wait, so th- could it actually be that, you know, eating bee, bee-based honey can ameliorate allergies? And there's a plenty of Google hole where that's the case. Oh, my gosh, it must be true. But then the data... Yeah, the data either are not there or right. they contradict that. Right. Um, and it's really easy when you kind of see a pattern develop, right, of people will take a pseudoscientific angle on things and they'll use some big fancy sounding words. And in my world, there's a lot of that going on. Immune boosting. Oh, right. Um, you know, antioxidant, things along those lines. Toxins. Yeah, Quantum. toxins. Quantum toxins. <laughs> um, and... There are people who are doing this uh, for profit most of the time. And what happens is you take chronic, let's say chronic complaints. Mm. Um, Do you have fatigue? Do you ever have a hard time urinating when you wake up in the morning? Mm. Do you have brain fog? Do you have a hard time remembering that word? If so, take this quiz. Guess what? The quiz will tell you that you probably have a food intolerance. (laughs) Let's figure that out by ordering this handy-dandy test Mm -hmm. that I can sell to Mm -hmm. you and test Mm -hmm. for all that. By the way, there's no test for food intolerances. And this is a great example. So quacks like Mercola, um, who have whole websites, natural news, and all this stuff that are anti-vaccine, et cetera, always look at what they're doing. They're selling you supplements. They're selling you tanning beds. They're selling you products. They're selling you lies, people, 
Who are you going to listen to, okay? Dr. Dave, who's handsome and well-trained, or Dr. Mukola, who's handsome and, 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 and poorly trained and also not handsome because he's dirty inside. Comments? Raina wants to know, why is it not okay to give babies hella honey? Why is it not okay to be, give babies hella honey? I know the answer to this, actually. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to test Dr. Dave because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's an allergist. What do they know? Uh, <laughs> until about 12 months of age. Not a day before, but a day after. It's fine. Arbitrary. Yeah, arbitrary. <laughs> right. Um, they're at risk for having botulism. Botulism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's that, a problem. It's is low it? levels of toxin that wouldn't affect an adult, but children are more uh, susceptible. If you give a baby like peanuts and stuff when they're young, is there any evidence that shows they won't be allergic to that later in life? Yes. Yeah. What's the deal with peanut allergy in kids? All right. So yeah. even when I trained 10 years ago, it was no milk until one, no eggs until two, no nuts or seafood until three. And if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, don't eat anything at all because you could cause an allergy in your child. Right. By the way, these two still have no nuts. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shellfish, Z. Speaking of which, let's talk about semen allergies. Okay, that's next. We'll get so, there. back to peanuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but lo and behold, that actually wasn't based on evidence. It was expert opinion. And these guidelines were put out, so that's what people adopted. And that's what parents were told, and that's what parents did. So it was bog set, a bunch of old guys sitting around a table. Pretty much. Yeah. It made sense. Yeah. If you avoid it, we can prevent them from becoming allergic. Sure. Well, now we have very good evidence, especially for peanut, and it's accumulating for egg, that if we give it early, prior to 12 months of age, especially for infants who've already raised their hand and said, yes, I'm at risk for having allergy. Mm. They have bad eczema, other food allergies, family history of having allergies, things like that. If you introduce it in the diet early, before 12 months of age, and keep it in the diet on a regular basis, then that has been shown to significantly decrease the development of peanut allergy. Wow. What about shellfish? Shellfish? There's no data to support that yet. Second um, one-year-old, hell of shellfish. Yeah. But I will tell you that we're now... in. Where we used to say avoid, 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 now we're saying, well, it looks pretty good that we should probably feed these things earlier rather than later and then keep them in the diet. Got it. By the way, for those who don't know where Logan is, uh, there's Tom. No. That's Logan. Isn't he adorable? By the way. And where's Tom? A weird one about shellfish is hmm. people that eat shellfish are also allergic to some types of bugs. Hmm. Isn't that true? It That's is true. weird. Is that true? It is true. Wow. Yeah. Like you can't eat like a cockroach. <laughs> Quick question just popped in my head because of that. The tick-borne uh, saliva response that then triggers a red meat allergy. Mm -hmm. Have you guys heard about this ZPAC? So there's a particular tick. I don't know the name of it. Lone Star Tick. The Lone Star Tick, Mr. Where'd you learn that? Back at the Institute? <laughs> Nerd. Uh, <laughs> he does it for a living. He's an allergist. We're here with Dr. Dave Stukas, pediatric allergist. Um, the Lone Star Tick, the bite of it, how does this work? Yeah, so the bite of it, um, it it's typically been in the southern states, but it's starting to creep further northward due to climate change. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Um, so for people, some people who are bitten by the Lone Star Tick, they can form an allergy antibody against a sugar, uh, galactose alpha-1 galactose. Yeah. Um, and Sounds like Boutros, Boutros, Galley. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, and then... Um, which is a sugar that's also present in red meat or mammalian meat. Mm. So if you become sensitized after being bitten by the tick, this is a really cool thing, not for those people, but it's interesting. You can have delayed anaphylaxis, meaning uh. you'll eat a steak and not within minutes, but three to six hours later, hives, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, vomiting. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really neat and it, not cool. No, yeah. not for those wow. people. Wow. Okay. Tommy Heinover, you were about to say something? I think it's a plot by Big Cow. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> Big Cow. An anesthesiologist uh, told me 25 years ago that any patient with more than three allergies equals crazy. What say you, Dr. Day? Uh, the longer the list grows, it's less likely that they are truly allergic to each specific thing they're listing. Science! <laughs>
But, you know, I, to some extent, I, there we're confusing intolerance. We're confusing, I just don't like. Yeah. And yeah. then the other thing is people may list, that they, if they're truly allergic to penicillin, then they're also allergic to amoxicillin or right. and things like that. So that's where the list may grow. Or if you're allergic to tree nuts, oftentimes you may be allergic to other tree nuts as well. So then right. you say, I have three food allergies as opposed to one. Right. Is a peanut considered a tree nut? Because it's actually a legume. It is a legume. So no, it's very different than tree nuts. And there are people all over the place that are allergic to peanuts, but they can eat tree nuts just fine. People, it's not easy being so smart as me. It's really not. It's a curse and a blessing. Okay, back at the Institute where I learned. Now, so uh, we're going to go a quick uh, break, and we're going to be back taking your comments. These are great questions. Keep them coming. We'll be back in one second. Um, Dr. Dave, as a hospitalist, I'm not that bright. I have a question. How do you desensitize somebody to an antibiotic that they must have to survive? Yeah. in the hospital. And this has come up, actually. So they're allergic to a penicillin class. It's the only drug that they're still sensitive to for whatever horrible bacteria that's happening. And we need to call an allergist or someone to go, what, how do we, what? How do you approach that? Yeah, so it starts with the history, a very detailed history. Because mm-hmm. as we talked about before, the vast majority of people, this is my favorite stat in all mm-hmm. of allergy, 10% of people state that they have a penicillin allergy. 90% of those same people are not allergic. Oh, so there you go. So yeah. first you got to start with the history because yep. otherwise you're mistakenly, you're potentially endangering your life with a mistaken piece of information. Yeah. Right. So you figure that out. And mm-hmm. then if the history is consistent, you say, you know, I got penicillin at what time? I had anaphylaxis. Okay. Well, it's not safe to give it to you again unless we desensitize you. Mm-hmm. And a desensitization is the same thing we do with immunotherapy or allergy shots. We take what you're allergic to. We dilute it down very, very small, mm. and then we inject it back in in regular intervals. So for a penicillin desensitization, we do it in a very supervised setting like in the ICU. We dilute it down sometimes a million fold, mm. and we basically double the dose every 15 minutes or so. So you go full homeopathy and then bring it back up to something actually therapeutic. Yes. And how quickly can you do that? Oh, within hours. Really? Um, yeah, and the cool thing with the desensitization is... Um, well, one, we can probably desensitize just about anybody to anything, depending wow. on you know how we approach it. Can you uh, can you desensitize Logan to Democrats? <laughs> it's, a very, it's an extensive protocol. It can't be, it can't be done. Um, but if you are if you're allergic and then you get desensitized, um, your risk for having a reaction is pretty much not non-existent, but much you know very low as long as you continue to receive that on a regular basis. Right, right, right. Once you stop receiving it for even 24 hours, uh-huh. you then may have the allergy come back again. So it's not a cure. Right. Which it's is a, a really temporary bridge. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. And again, for those of us in the inpatient space, it's very, very useful because it does come up and infectious disease is like, well, we really want to give them this, but they're allergic to it. Well, it's not a end all. You, you, you can actually do this. Mm-hmm. And do you usually need an allergist to help you with that or can infectious diseases do that? Yeah, a lot of institutions, uh, they don't use allergists. One, because they may not be available. Yeah, you guys are never around. Yeah, you know. Don't take call. It's like three hours a day. Exactly. God bless you. Um, but no, anybody can do it. Especially, and uh, you know, pharmacists are our best friend. Yeah, yes, uh, they are. Really comfortable. They have to. Do, they have to perform the dilutions and then send everything up. And then you know, there's established protocols for all. This yeah, stuff. yeah, exactly right. Our pharmacists used to do it at Stanford. I love it when it, you do that. It's like the pharmacists aren't dead, Z. They're not. They're not up there. You know, they're they're still with us. They would like. Some of them would like to be dead, working in a at a retail mill and being devalued and not treated like members of the team and not allowed to practice at the top of their license. But we can change that, ZPAC. That's called Health 3.0. Questions, comments, guys. Mary says, "My favorite is when a patient's chart lists cheap jewelry as an allergy." Me too, lady. That. 
My Me wife too. says that. Your wife says that? So she what's does. the deal you with the jewelry? Weird? My wife says expensive jewelry. She, uh, gold and silver. You have the best know. wife ever, yeah, man. What the hell, man. So I buy her surgical <laughs> steel earrings. And she can wear those fine. Interesting. So. What's the deal with that? Yeah, uh, Metal allergy. Yeah, nickel allergy. Nickel. Uh, affects about 15% of the population. That's so huge. a lot of the, the inexpensive pieces of jewelry will mm. be coated in nickel, um, which can cause a contact dermatitis. not the same thing as anaphylaxis. Got it. Now, I'm allergic to nickelback. <laughs> um, you know, look at my photograph. Every time I do it makes me laugh. <laughs> what the hell is he doing here? And what the heck is that on Joey's head? All right. Um, so we talked about nickel, the glutens. What's the deal with the glutens? Cuz oh my god. I feel like I have to be gluten-free because everybody's gluten-free and when they're gluten-free you're free, you're liberated, right? What's the deal? Yeah. There's celiac and there's not celiac. This is the, the perfect example of uh, taking some credible information mm -hmm. and then applying it to things that it doesn't apply to. Mm. So when it comes to gluten, you can have celiac disease, which affects about 1% of the population. In the, while you eat gluten, the body will form an antibody against itself, and it can attack pretty much all the tissues. So you can have gastrointestinal symptoms, you can have you know, memory problems, skin rashes, things like that. Um, once you remove gluten, the body will heal itself, and then you no longer have any problems. But that's mm -hmm. only about 1% of people. Um, then you can have... 1% um, of all people or 1% of Caucasians? Oh, that's a good question. Good question. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Stumped. I stumped the Stukas. You want to make something up? Why you stumped yeah, the uh, in people of Caucasian descent, it's roughly 1.5%, but with uh, Asian populations, it's 0.75. I made it up. I believe it. I'm an anchor around that. It's on the internet. It must be true. That's right. Uh, wheat allergy is number two. So um, you form an, an allergy antibody, and then whenever you eat wheat, which contains gluten, you'd have immediate onset and reproducible symptoms, hives, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, anaphylaxis. Mm. Um, this um, is one of, the, um, one of the eight more common causes of food allergy. So along with cow's milk, you have wheat, soy, egg, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. So that accounts for about 90% of all food allergies. So those are those two big classes, celiac disease and wheat allergy. And then you can have a gluten intolerance, so a non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So explain that to me because that's where I'm always a little gray and I think people tend to conflate that with a lot of more serious stuff. Explain that. Yeah, so that is basically difficulty digesting gluten. Mm -hmm. So if you're eating gluten on a regular basis, you should have gastrointestinal symptoms, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, things like that. Right. Here's the hard part. There's no diagnostic test for that. Got it. So with celiac disease, you can do a biopsy of the small intestines and you can see blunting of the villi. You can do some blood tests yep. with wheat allergy. We have our allergy tests or all food challenges. Yeah. For the non-celiac gluten sensitivity, should be mostly gastrointestinal symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, the only way to figure it out is to do your own challenge. So I'm having these symptoms. Take gluten completely out of your diet for two to four weeks. Try to objectively measure whether symptoms are improved. Mm. And then here's the key. Put it back in your diet again. See if it comes back. See if it comes back. Yeah. Because some recent studies have shown that um, a lot of people are misdiagnosing themselves. Uh, whole, and it doesn't come back. Right. It's like a nice placebo in. to get rid of a whole class because it forces a certain eating discipline. Mm -hmm. It forces an ability to look at what you're eating and pay more attention. And so as a result, you may have a placebo effect. Then you put the gluten back and they don't do bad. And, so. and think about where gluten is found. 
it's in you know processed foods and carbohydrates. So you're eating a lot of breads and pastas and you know a lot of desserts and things like that. So I think most people would feel better if you limit yourself. Cut the sugar intake. Yeah, pretty much. So that's where we see a lot of that going on. But then people are self-diagnosing. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Please, I just it's Thomas creeping in it. Oh yeah, it's so creepy. He looks like the Unabomber. like before he hit, he wanted me to talk about his semen allergy, and I skipped over that. Let's talk about. Yeah, why we never talk about semen? Let's talk about that. He's Tom. Every girl Tom has ever dated has claimed a semen allergy. Every girl I ever dated, I told him I had a latex allergy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unsafe sex. <laughs> so what's the deal, Dr. Dave, with semen allergy? Ah, okay. So we're going to go there. We are. Um, yeah. So there are. Um, Boldly. Where no man has gone before. Case reports. So we're talking very few people, you know, uh, that um, actually can develop an allergy to the proteins that are present inside seminal fluid. Mm. Um, and small amounts, small numbers. Yeah, yeah, small numbers of people. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it can be pretty horrific because imagine you know such mm-hmm. a, a pleasurable experience as intercourse being interrupted by anaphylaxis. Mm. That's not good. No, that's the kind of coitus interruptus that is not cool. Yeah, as opposed to the kind that <laughs> we all practice because we're dumb. Don't do that. Pull and pray is dangerous, but it can <laughs> it can be effective when done correctly. Not for just STDs though. Where were we? We were talking about semen allergies. Uh, <coughs> or, or gluten. Or, glu- or gluten. So for semen allergy, what do you, how do you desensitize to semen? Um, so you can, well, <laughs> you can apply small amounts to uh, mucosal surfaces. Okay. Uh, directly, apply directly to uh-huh. the forehead. Right, just like that stuff for headache. Wherever they yeah. normally go. Whatever the mucosal, right. Um, and you can do that repeatedly until, uh, again, you can desensitize anybody to anything. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I just realized that forehead joke I made was really about the headache medicine, but it could be interpreted otherwise. That was terrible. And I blame Logan. I blame Tom. And I blame Krapindra Pumoji, uh, the world's first Pumoji gastroenterologist. Uh, so, okay. So we talked about semen. We talked about the glutens. What other questions do we have? Tammy Schrader just get a laugh emoji there with little tears coming out. Hopefully those aren't semen tears because those are gross. Uh, colder to carrier, Kristen. Ah, yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Well, I had a friend who had this. Let's start with chronic urticaria. Yes. Uh, so the, the six weeks is your cutoff. There's a lot of people who get hives, and sometimes hives are just hives. They don't always indicate you're having an allergic reaction. Mm. So if hives have been going on and off or just persistently for six weeks or longer, that is now chronic urticaria. Mm. 99.9% of those cases are not due to anything that anybody's allergic to. Sometimes the body forms an antibody against those mast cells and causes it, but most of the time we just never figure it out. Right. But there is a subset that can have um, what are called physical urticarias. So there's very specific triggers that can cause their hives. Cold is one of the more common ones. Right. So exposure to cold temperatures can cause hives to break out wherever the skin is exposed. Once you rewarm, they go away. If, if that's the case, we want to be really careful for anybody who has that because we don't want them to jump into a fresh body of water. Anaphylaxis. And have anaphylaxis. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you treat that? You just avoid the trigger? Well, you can avoid the trigger, mm-hmm. um, or we use well, long-lasting, non-sedating antihistamines. Got it. Such as cetirizine or fexofenadine, Got things it. like that. So I like, I like and, how you use generic names. Yeah. See, uh, he's yeah. not a pharmacist. Um, not a pharmacist. Um, but I, if I may, it reminds me of something really important. Yeah. So these first-generation antihistamines, um, trade name would be Benadryl or diphenhydramine. We don't need to use those because the second generation antihistamines are not as sedating, they last a lot longer, they have the onset of action that is actually the same, huh. and they're widely available. Are they as effective? Because so many people believe Benadryl is more effective because it knocks you out and makes you gloopy. And- 
Yeah, so Benadryl often seems to be more effective because of the side effects that it poses. Uh, so especially if you use it to treat a cold or an upper respiratory infection. Yeah, you dry out a, the mucus. Yeah, you dry it out. It's not yeah. a histamine-mediated disease, right, right, but you're right. drying it out. But then you have drowsiness and sedation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been linked with having altered cognition and potentially being linked with Alzheimer's. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. What? Linked with Alzheimer's? Yeah. Wow. So just an association rather than known causation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just to be clear. Yes. Uh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So uh, as much as possible, that's my other crusade is I try to you know not use the first generation just because we have so many uh, Adirax. suitable. Yeah. yeah. Adirax yeah. as well. Another yeah. first generation. Yeah. Yep. Fascinating because you know, I can't tell you how many times we use those drugs in the hospital in our elderly population. Yeah. Which well, is, they're going to go cuckoo as it is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Other comments, guys? Tom? Closing on 40 minutes in. All right. We want to respect Dr. Dave's time because he's got to go back to the strips for, you know, <laughs> it's Vegas. He's also teaching. Uh, Dr. Dave, any parting words for people who are concerned about allergies or want to learn more or want to understand better how to take care of these issues for themselves? Should they go talk to their allergist? Is that the response? Yeah. It, you know, um, it dawned on me a while ago with some comments I get on social media, and I think this is the perfect way of take the information that you find online. Think about it. Think about the source. Is it credible? Who's actually giving you the information? Are they trying to sell you something? Mm. Take that information and then go to your personal doctor and ask them, does this apply to my health care? So there's a lot of self-diagnosis going on. There's a lot of misunderstanding going on. um, And I think we need to move away from that. So the Internet can be a very valuable resource, but just be careful what you read and then take that information back to credible medical professionals who know your medical history and can help you determine whether that applies to you. That's awesome advice. And Dr. Dave is walking the walk. Dave Stukas out of Columbus, Ohio, Nationwide uh, Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is an academic physician there in allergy and immunology, uh, specializing in pediatrics, and also is at AllergyKidsDoc on Twitter. We'll put that link in. He's one of the early pioneers in social media uh, and medicine and is a true hero. Dr. Dave. Thank you, my brother. Have fun in Vegas. Come back anytime on our show because we learned a lot. I learned a lot. And Tom's semen allergy, um, hopefully there's hope for it because... The only thing I'm allergic to? Bullets. It's my one weakness. (laughs) Bullets are your kryptonite? Yeah. Also knives. (laughs) Nuclear warheads. Cyanide. Sarin gas. Mm -hmm. What else? Too much sun? Yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Natural causes. (laughs) Allergic to a lot of stuff. Love you, Z-Pack. Hey, do us a favor. Follow the show. Tune in every day. Hit like and share. And we'll get folks like Dr. Dave on the show who can enlighten us while entertaining us. And we are peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters. 
and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.